Hashtag Pistons Podcast. We are back once again. As usual, I am Joe. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Truck. I'm joined, as per the usual, by Mr. Kuka Hill. You can find him on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. So we're recording this right after the Pistons' victory over the Cleveland Cavaliers. If I can find my mouse to bring up the box score. The Pistons won 115-113. to 113. Very close game. Uh, Andre Drummond had a monster night, 23 points, 20 rebounds, 5 assists. Derrick Rose had a great outing with 24 points. Sekou Dumboya put up 15 points. Tony Snell had 18 points. And for the Cavs, uh, Kevin Love was really a standout, which isn't a huge shock, with 30 points for him. Uh, Colin Sexton also had 20. Um, so we're just going to talk about the game and a couple of other big-picture things, potentially. Um, we kind of touched on it on yesterday's pod, so I don't think we necessarily need to get into it a bunch, but it was official, made official today, that um, Blake Griffin is having surgery. Uh, they haven't officially said that it's necessarily season-ending surgery, but by all accounts, it sounds like it's probably going to be. Um, so just in case you somehow missed that news today, um, that did happen. Uh, so, But we talked about life without him a little bit yesterday, so I don't think that we need to get too into that here. So... First thing I want to talk about, I think both of us would want to talk about, is Sekou Dumboya. Uh, he, this is his fourth start, first time where he's not starting against someone who's like way better than he is even could even hope to be at this point. And he had a good outing in 33 minutes. He had 15 points on pretty good efficiency. He only had two rebounds, which is lower than it has been in the past, but that's okay. Also had three steals and only three personal fouls in 33 minutes of play, which is pretty good. So, Koo, you can start us off. Um, what is your takeaway from Seku's game tonight? Also, obviously, had a monster dunk that everyone was talking about. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, that, that dunk was insane. Uh, it was all over Twitter from people outside of Pistons Twitter, just all over. The, pretty much Bleach Report even tweeted it. Like, it was all over the nation how sick that dunk was. He murdered Tristan Thompson. But, um... Yeah, Seku had a good night. Uh, I don't the rebounding. He, him only having two rebounds. I mean, Andre swallowed up like twenty of them. So it was like he was just swallowing up everything. So I'm not not too worried about that. But he continued to show the his willingness to cut, uh, knowing when to cut the right times. He got out in transition a few times. He could he missed his only three, but he continues to do the things I said that, uh, in a thread a couple of days ago on Twitter about how. He's cutting to the rim good. He knows when to cut to the rim. He's playing. They're not trying to give him, like, the ball and just having him ISO or anything. He's playing good off the ball. He's getting to the rim. He's leaking out in transition. He's getting easy buckets for himself and making things easier on him. Yeah, I mean, and we've touched on this a couple times before, but I really want to hammer it home because I think a game like today really, really shows it where this idea that we've talked about before that because his entire basketball life has been – you know, sort of for a pro club in France. Um, just, he knows how to be a role player. Uh, you know, he knows how to cut well. He runs out and transition whenever he can. Um, you know, he he never stops the ball. When he gets the ball, he decides what to do with it. He decides what to do with it very quickly. He never gets the ball and dribbles a bunch of times, just kind of standing there waiting for something else to happen. Um, and those are all really big positives for a guy who is as young as he is, which he obviously just turned... 19 just what two weeks ago maybe not even that um so we've talked about that before so we don't want to hammer on it too much but i mean you really do see the whole package of potential with him 
Um, he had a couple of really nice... I mean, two of those three steals were really impressive. One of them, Matthew Delvadova's coming up the floor, and I, Delhi's not like some elite point guard, but that, he's a real point guard. And Seiko was just like, I think I could just take the ball from him. And he did. He just went up, he just straight up took the ball from him, which it's not an easy thing to do, even if it's Matthew Delvadova. That's not an easy thing to do to an NBA point guard. And he just... The other thing, he clearly... You talked about this yesterday, Koo, but he's clearly not scared at all. Mm-hmm. He's not... He couldn't be bothered by it. He th- he thinks he belongs on the floor, and I think that this is just that tonight is just another example of that. Um, he emphatically needs NBA minutes. I don't think that the G League can do anything else for him uh, because pretty much all of the things that you look at where he needs to learn are almost all things where it's kind of he needs to adjust to the speed of the NBA game, right? The fact that everyone here is fast, everyone here is skilled, everyone here is huge, etc., etc. And, you know, so, like, it's like he he got burned several times on backdoor cuts tonight on defense, right? Um, that's the sort of thing that playing in the G League for the rest of the year, that's not necessarily going to help him that much because guys are not as fast and strong. So, like, in the G League... A lot of times, if a guy beats him on a backdoor cut, he's just so much, he's just so far superior athletically that he's able to make up that ground a lot of the time, right? So it's not going to teach him the good habits of you've got to have your head on a swivel all the time when you're off the ball on defense in the NBA, that sort of thing. Um, so that sort of stuff is something that you, the best way to learn it is in NBA minutes, and especially now that we are fairly confident that Blake Griffin is going to be done for the season. Um, he really needs the NBA minutes. But even if Blake was coming back tomorrow, I would still be saying Seku has absolutely shown he needs NBA minutes. Uh, I really don't think that the G League can do him any more good, which is a little bit sad for me because um, once my knee gets better, I was going to probably be able to start doing drive games again this year. Uh, and looks like Seku will not be coming back, which will be a little bit of a bummer for me. But that's just the reality. He should not... He should not spend any more time in the G League. He's ready for NBA minutes. He doesn't look out of place. It's just sort of the sort of mental mistakes that that you, you're you only going to learn through mistakes. So I really think he needs those minutes. And he played pretty well tonight other than some pretty bad defensive miscues. So, yeah. No, I think you covered it all right there. Okay. So here's the other thing that I want to talk about. And we did not talk about this beforehand, so I'm not sure what you're going to say about it. But... There's been, particularly, at least it seems to me, admittedly, because of the surgery and everything else, I've not been as plugged in over the last month or so as I usually am, just because there were a couple games I just didn't watch, I was just like, I'm not doing this, and I was on a lot of painkillers, so my mind was only partially there for a lot of it, but it seems like the past few games, this has really flared up, where people are kind of sick of Derrick Rose not passing the ball, and his tunnel vision, effectively, and... um. I'm curious, Ku, what you think about, and once again, we did not talk about this before, so if we agree or disagree, I truthfully am not sure what you're going to say. So sort of contrasting him with the fact that Bruce has really kind of come into his own to a degree over the last month or so. Like, very clearly, he's playing a lot better as a lead guard. I don't think anyone is suggesting that Bruce is playing better than Derrick Rose is, um, but very clearly has come into his own to the point where it's not just as simple as, well, Derrick Rose is a functioning NBA point guard, so he's way better. Um, so I'm just curious, what is your take on this? Do you think that it is a big issue for Derrick? Do you think that's enough, enough of an issue that Bruce should be getting more of the lead ball handler minutes? Or, you know, just what do you think of it? 
um, I, I don't want to go out and say I think it's absurd, but I, I think it's definitely getting out of pocket, um, I, and I'll explain why. Um, so one for one thing, it's kind of like you mentioned this a while, a long time back, one of the first times I was on here. It's kind of like the same thing with Andre Drummond, in my opinion. Like it, it's uh, kind of like a, I'm gonna use tonight as an example. Like the dude had seven assists, he had 24 and seven tonight. So people are like complaining about it. So they instead of having 24 and seven, they wanted him to have like what 24 and 11 instead. So it's not like he just basically what I'm saying is he still had seven assists. It's not like he's out there counting sexting and out there you know acting like he is. Just and by the way, that dude does not pass the ball. You want to talk about someone who does not pass the <laughs> yeah. ball? Count sexton does not pass the ball. Yeah. But I, I I don't really get it. it I, I I don't really get it at all. Actually, no. I won't say I don't really get it at all. I do understand it. There are times he gets tunnel vision, and there are times that he misses the read. Like, there was one read in particular today that he did miss. He did a double high screen. Seku popped, and Seku's guy came down and doubled with him on the drive. He didn't kick it out to Seku. That was a read he probably should have made. But, I mean, like, I think we're getting, like, at that point, it's kind of like we're nitpicking a little too much, in my opinion. Like, you're just picking, like, like you can find plays throughout the game when you just don't like the – the uh, read he makes, but it's not like I think you're just nitpicking at that point. It'd be different. He was averaging like 20 shots with two assists a game or like in high turnovers, just not passing the ball. I don't think that's not what's happening. And to add on to that, Joe talked about it a little bit last podcast. I mean, what the offense has pretty much came down to Derrick Rose and Andre Drummond. And Derrick Rose is, and Joe said this before the season that he all Derek, all Joe wanted from Derrick before the season was just to come in, score, attack the rim. If you miss it, hey, keep doing your thing, just keep attacking the rim because that's all we want you to do. I think he's absolutely outplayed what Joe wanted from him. I think he's even outplayed what I expected from him, and I think it's getting way out of pocket with it. I, it, he, he still the thing is with Derrick is I'll say this from a pure like, and we had this argument in the group the other day about what like a pure passer means, like contrary to like a playmaker i think Derek, as a pure passer is is probably our second best playmaker in the, in, on the team our second pure passer he can make passes from different angles make tougher passes that other team other players can't make on the team but he does i'm not he does indeed get tunnel vision on some of his drives but it's like it, he's getting tunnel vision but he's scoring like 24 a night like he's he's out here scoring a lot and he's he's one of the only reasons why the teams are even close in the game because of his scoring and his ways of, you know, because like Joe said, the offense just came down to, he go, go do something with it. Cause we, we don't have nobody out there that can really create. And he, if he wasn't able to do what he does, the Pistons would be, I mean, Pistons fans probably would be happy about this. We'd probably just be getting destroyed all the time. And they'd probably just be happy that we're losing, but that will, that's what would happen if we didn't have Derek who was able to create like he does and get to the rim like he does and score like he does. We'd just be getting obliterated. Not to mention the fact that ever since he started starting the third quarters, like that whole thing has like evaporated. Like that that whole little third quarter issue is completely evaporated. So I mean, I think it's just some of it has to do with people just loving Seku so much that anytime they see him remotely open, they just want him to get the ball. And then some of them he does have misreads, but it's nitpicking at that point. The only real problem I have with Derek against playmaking, like this is the one legit like for real gripe I have with him, and it's his alley oops to Andre. He he just refuses to throw any oops to Dre. He threw his first one of the year tonight, and we're in January. So, I mean, that's just, like, that's that's absurd. And I kind of talked with him about that before the season. He told me that he's never played with a lob threat like Andre. He's, he's never played with someone like that before in his career, and it would be an adjustment. 
and obviously it is because he for real like he legit just just doesn't throw them to him. And I I've always hated when uh, uh, our point guards or anyone ball handling in pick and roll those bounce passes that Dre because I don't really want him trying to attack the rim off a bounce pass. I want him just getting easy buckets off of alley oop, which is it's always open. So if that was everyone's complaint, I totally agree. That that's that's a serious problem. He needs to needs to adjust while he's here, however much longer he's here. But outside of that, I think it's just really I think they're nitpicking way too much and like not. I honestly I don't think they're completely taking they're taking D rolls for granted. Basically, is why I think. Yeah, um, I'm not totally in agreement with you, but I'm pretty close actually. Uh, with you, particularly with what you closed with there of that. People are taking D rows for granted, which is that you know there's a degree to which people are always going to be attracted to the the young player, right? Like that's just a fact of basketball, particularly when a team is hypothetically at least entering the start of a rebuild. Um, you know, everyone's going to kind of want extra stuff for the young guys, and that's understandable. Um, it does stem from a very true thing that even though Derrick Rose does get a decent amount of assists, he gets real bad tunnel vision a lot. There's no denying that. Um, but here's the thing, and this is why I think that what you hit on is really, really important there at the end. Okay, so Bruce Brown in two-man pairings this season, he's played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different guys he's been on the floor with for at least 200 minutes this year, okay? Who do you think is his best pairing? And it's not even close. Derrick Rose. When Bruce Brown and Derrick Rose are on the floor together, they are, the Pistons are plus 4.1 per 100 possessions. No one else is even close to that. And when Bruce Brown is on the floor with Andre Drummond and not Derrick Rose, they're like minus 6. So, now, part of that is because Bruce Brown really struggled out of the gate, which is something that we talked about at the time. But, I mean, I get the frustration that Derek misses a lot of open shooters, because he does. He gets bad tunnel vision. But you can't underestimate the value of the fact that the guy can score in ways that Bruce just doesn't. I mean, we both like Bruce. We both like Bruce a lot. We think he's got good potential. But Derek can score. And it's just something, Bruce, he's gotten better, but he's not anywhere near where Derrick Rose is. I mean, you look at just the basic on-off stats. Derrick Rose, when the when Derrick Rose is on the floor, the Pistons have an offensive rating of 111.3 points per 100 possessions. And then when he is off the floor, they are at 104.3. Uh, for, De- for Bruce Brown, it's, let's see. For Bruce Brown, it's the opposite, basically. So, by all accounts, even though Bruce Brown has made good progress this season, um, he's shown us something. He played really well tonight. But there is there is no denying that Bruce Brown as point guard equals bad offense for the Pistons. There's just no way around it right now. And that's okay I mean, because... Even add on, to yeah, even add on to that, like for the majority of the season, I don't know if it... I think it's probably still true now. I don't see how I couldn't, but... The majority of this season, outside of Christian Wood, when he was only playing sparingly, D Rose had the highest net swing on the team. Like they're just a way better team with him on the floor. Yeah, he's not anymore. Currently, Svi has the highest. Svi, Christian Wood, and also ironically Seku now. Although Seku has not played very much, among guys who've actually played any real minutes, both Christian Wood and Svi are quite a bit ahead of him still. 
but no, there's no way around it. Derrick Rose is, and part of this is because Reggie Jackson has been hurt and Blake Griffin has been hurt. So he's really the only properly ball handler on the team. Um, there's a degree to which it's sort of the, um, it's almost, uh, you know, at the start of the season when Thon Maker was getting all of the backup center minutes and Andre Drummond's on-off splits were just insane. And it's like, look, part of the reason for this is that the worst guy on the team is backing him up for every minute that he's not on the floor, right? So whenever Derrick Rose isn't on the floor, there is no lead ball handler on the floor. So that's part of the reason for it. But there is no denying that when Derrick Rose is on the floor, the Pistons' offense is actually good. And I actually mentioned this yesterday on the pod, but that's the thing, actually, that has impressed me for him more than anything else. And... You know, you always need to take on-off splits with a pretty big grain of salt. But, I mean, considering all the injuries that the Pistons have had this year, their offense has no right to be anything other than an abject disaster, right? Like, just straight up, their offense should be an absolute crapshoot this season. And overall, they're, they've stayed at about league average all season. And when Derrick Rose is on the floor, they're actually pretty good. And that is a huge testament to Derek. It's also a testament to Andre Drummond because he's got because he's leading the team in touches per game still. Um, so that's a testament to both of those guys. But it's really a big thing. It's a big feather in the cap for Derek Rose that um, it, because you know that almost it almost takes away the fact that it's like his net rating is big. A big part of that is once again because there's no other point guards that are healthy right now or lead ball handlers that are healthy right now. But that doesn't change the fact that with basically no other help, when he's on the floor, the Pistons are legitimately a solid offensive team. And that's that's just a huge testament to how well he's played this season. And you mentioned this earlier, too. That's something that I've talked about with him. He wasn't brought in here to be some great facilitator. He's been, and he's been better than, like, I thought he would be, but... He it's not he hasn't played in any different style than I thought when I was like yeah this is a problem as long as he stays healthy this will probably be a good signing he's attacking the rim more often than not he's scoring he's scoring at a pretty efficient clip like tonight not super efficient but what did he have twenty four points he had twenty four points and he shot nine of twenty one from the field four for four from the free throw line so that's not super efficient but you live with it. I mean, it's kind of... So, I, I think that there's a degree to which... It's understandable when people are like, look, maybe take a couple less really tough shots that you're missing and pass it, okay? But there's a degree to which you're kind of... You're missing you're missing the forest for the trees, you know? Where I mean, people, are, people are wanting perfection from Derrick Rose... And because they're so e- they so badly want perfection, because some of the reads that he the passes that he misses are so blindingly obvious, it's like, bro, pass the ball that they they miss out on the fact. And it's a similar thing with Andre Drummond, where occasionally he'll just blow a play, and people somehow get so focused on that that they miss that. You look at the end of the game and you look at all the numbers. It's like he's playing pretty well. Like chillax a little bit. I get that he's not playing perfect, but he's doing a pretty good job here. You know. Yeah, and just and just to add on, even add on to that, uh, in Michael Pina's uh, article today about the Pistons needing to blow it up, he mentions he me- I which by the way, you guys should go read it. I disagree with a lot of things he said, but he does have some points in here that I do agree with and a couple of good statistics I'm about to bring up here. 
So first thing he mentions is that Detroit's offensive rating goes from last in the NBA to first in the entire NBA when Derrick Rose goes onto the court. Like, that's just, like, let that sink in. They go from 30th to first Yeah. with Derrick Rose. And like Joe said, just t- think about everyone that's on the court with them, the injuries that have happened. Like, even if you want to say Blake's played at some games, like, Blake basically been the equivalent of me. So, like, just take that into account. And then for all the people, for, like, obviously, like Joe said, he does get tunnel vision sometimes. Or you guys can say however much he does. But this is another statistic he puts in this article. Derrick Rose assists on 2.65 corner threes per 100 possessions, which is the highest in the NBA, and it hasn't been no higher since the 2016 season with LeBron. So, like, he's finding people. He's finding his shooters, which, by the way, leads to the fact this – this also helps the fact that – another thing people aren't understanding. The fact – and I talked about this in a video, my YouTube video, about why Derrick Rose sign was so good. Derrick Rose – the Pistons haven't had someone like Derrick Rose who can get to the rim like he does and finish at such a rate in years. They don't have – they haven't had that. So the fact that defenses have to respect him like, – like he mentions in this article, too, that literally like the other night – uh, I, I believe it was the Lakers. The Lakers were for real just, like, triple-teaming the guy. Like, he, he started getting triple-teamed out there. Like, the fact that he's able to get to the rim as good as he does sucks in the defense, He's able, and that helps the Pistons' three-point percentage, which I don't know where it ranks right now, but it was at the, towards the top of the league. I believe it was third for most of the season. I don't know where it's at right now. But to add on to just to one last stat, the Pistons make more assisted corner threes per 100 possessions than any team in the past 20 years and possibly league history because apparently the stats ain't going no farther back than 20 years ago. So if you take into the fact that they're assisting on more corner threes than in NBA history, while also having Derrick Rose, who's leading the league in corner assists, uh, corner assists since 2016, I mean that's I, they're just taking them for granted. I understand he makes some, he misses some reads, but like Joe said, it's like. It's kind of like what Joe says with the whole small sample size. Like you're a sample size person. Like you're just taking you're taking a few plays and you're letting that cloud your entire, like the entire size. Like you, it is what it is. It 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 really is just like what Joe said with Andre. Andre will make a boneheaded play here and there, but that does not take away from his overall impact on the entire game. It just, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, so we're we're actually both mostly in agreement on it. That, and look, this isn't to take away from Bruce. Bruce has looked really good. I really like what I've seen from Bruce. He's been showing us something recently. He's been scoring a little bit more. Uh, he's been shooting the ball better from deep. Um, you know, he's been doing a lot of good things. But <laughs> let's chillax a little bit on Derek, okay? He gets bad tunnel vision sometimes, but he's still getting the job done more often than not. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to be angry about it. I'm not going to be too angry about it. I'm not going to be angry about the 10% of a guy's game that I don't like when the 90% of it is doing a really, really good job. Um, yeah, so... I, I have know. a question to ask you. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Before you move on, this, something I tweeted this out today. I'm just... I obviously have just been wondering it because, you know, he's been on minutes restriction all year. Right now, he's averaging, what is it, 17 and 5.9 a game, 5.9 assists a game. Um, what do you think... Do you think that he could be putting... Uh, putting up, you know, with a fan vote, obviously he gets respect around the league, and the fans obviously are going to do their job in doing it. Do you think if he was getting 32 minutes a game this season or somewhere around that, he could be getting into the All-Star game? I mean, there's a good chance he'll get into the All-Star game anyways, obviously. Um, I don't know. So his per 36 
numbers are 25 points and 8 assists. Um, it's, it's tough to say because there's no denying that one thing that does help him is the fact that he spends a lot of his he spent a lot of his time playing against backups. Obviously, that's it's easier to play against backups, and also there is definitely benefit, particularly for a guy like him, who so much of his game or so much of his effectiveness is based on sort of that aggression and going to the hoop and such. Um, not playing so many minutes so that you don't get tired and start settling for jumpers that really makes an extra difference there. So, I'm at a base level, yeah, he probably could. Um, but it's hard to say for sure, just because if he played another eight minutes a game, there's a... It, like, if he was starting and playing another, you know, eight, nine minutes per game, there's a good chance he would probably not be quite as effective as he has been. Uh, so, and it's a totally different thing, but just as a, for instance, Aaron Baines was a guy who... He was really effective as a backup, but would you, there's a, there was always a pretty clear... Now, he's improved a lot, so this is less true now, but um, there's a pretty clear correlation between him having to play heavy minutes and him getting worse. That's because a lot of his value came from the fact that he just played balls to the walls every minute he was on the court, right? He flew around the court. He just he played so freaking hard, but you can only do that if you play like 15, 16, 17, 18 minutes per game. And when he has to play 30 minutes per game, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this guy fouls all the time. And he's get once he starts to get a little bit tired, he's not nearly as effective. Now, obviously, Derrick Rose is better than Aaron Baines. But it's just the same kind of thing where um, it'd be tough to say. Uh, I'll say this. And I'll be a little bit... It'll be a little bit ridiculous if Derrick Rose makes the All-Star game because of the fan vote. But it'll only be a little bit ridiculous and not 100% ridiculous because he has played really, really well. Um, the main thing that would be a shame about that is if he makes it and then Andre doesn't because there's no way that a team with the Pistons record is getting two All-Stars. That would be that would be pretty ridiculous. But, I mean, you couldn't be too mad about it because he really has played well. So, yeah. All right. Just wanted to pick your mind on that. Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of the only things that we had pre-set up. Do you want to talk about... And obviously, Andre had a monster game here tonight. Um, you know, I do wonder if all those people who said that, oh, now that these trade rumors have come out, we're going to get mopey Andre, and he's not going to play well. It's going to tank his value. I wonder if those people... Those people are all on Twitter today talking about, how, oh, wow, we were really wrong about that. He really played his heart out tonight and played a great game, right? There's probably a bunch of people saying that today. I mean, who knows? They're probably uh, still trying to... They probably found a clip of him missing a lift and they didn't like him out. That's probably circulating around. Probably. Uh, well, I mean, there's not a lot to say about Andre's game. He had a monster game. 23 points, 20 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks, only 3 turnovers, only 2 fouls, 7 of 9 from the free throw line, huge block at the very end of the game, and then on the ensuing possession, because uh, he blocked it, and then the Cavs got the ball back, though. Uh, he got the block, and then even though he didn't block Colin Sexton's next floater, he was right there and made Colin Sexton airball it because he was so all, far over him. So uh, had a monster finish to the game in particular. Um, so I mean, we we've talked about how good Andre Drummond is, but I mean, I guess I guess we could just hit on real quick before we end the fact that that report came out today, uh, along yeah, with sure. Blake, along with Blake's um, surgery happening. Right after that, Mark Stein tweeted that, per a source from him, um, he heard this week that the, apparently the Pistons are fairly confident that they will trade 
Andre Drummond before the trade deadline. So I guess we can talk about, I guess I just want to ask you, going off of that source, uh, that report right there, the fact that these, I mean, these rumors feel like they're a lot more legit than they have been. I mean, Andre's always been involved with some trade rumors around this time, but these ones seem a lot more legit. Uh, the move, the rebuild move seems to be more legit right now. So I guess I could just ask you, I mean, you can say on 1 to 10, percentage-wise, et cetera, however you want to do it. Um, how, what, what, what's the likelihood you believe Andre actually does get traded this this uh, and you can actually answer that question first and then I'll go from there um, it's going to depend on a couple of other teams and where they're at because I don't think the Pistons want to trade him for pennies on the dollar um, once again especially assuming that he's not just straight up lying to everyone's faces when he continually says I want to be in Detroit I don't want to be traded you know this is where I want to be etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, so once again if behind the scenes it turns out that he was telling them nah I'm, I'm out of here then that changes things so we can only go on what we know and what we've heard in the public uh, but I don't think they want to trade him for pennies on the dollar so because of that, I think a lot of it will depend on what happens with a couple of other teams. So, for instance, does Portland get their act together by the time that the trade deadline comes around? Because they're a team that, if they still do not have it back together, I could absolutely see them being like, screw it, we're going to go all in and we're going to go get Andre Drummond, right, and give a real valuable return for him. I could see that happening. I could see a similar thing happening with... Um, uh, with Dallas, like if Dallas were to fall off a bit for the next month before the All-Star break. Or, you know, and there's just, there's because this is the thing that's interesting, is that there's several teams that are teams that at least see themselves as sort of borderline contenders that don't really have a center right now. So I think a lot will depend on how those teams end up playing over the next, you know, month or so. Um, we're almost exactly a month away from the deadline, right? Because the deadline is February 6th, I think. So we're just under a month. So I think a lot will depend on how several of those teams play leading up to that. Because if they kind of get it together and they decide that it's not worth it to make a big trade for Andre, and they're going to be like, well, we'll offer them a little bit, I would not be shocked if he sticks around. Uh, so Okay, then then the follow-up question to that is, if you think, if you think there's a possibility he stays around, in that hypothetical that he does end up not getting traded, do you think that changes their outlook on how they how they handle this summer then? Because obviously they don't want to trade him for pennies on a dollar, but I, me personally, I'd probably say that they want to trade him now. They want to go in a different direction. They want to start this rebuild or whatever you want to call it, what they're going to do in the offseason, if they retool or whatever. Obviously they, obviously they don't want to pay Andre as much as he wants, apparently. So obviously they're looking to get rid of him. Do you think that if they can't get a deal for him by the deadline, that that changes going into offseason? They might, they might say, you know what, we might have to sign him back. We don't want to lose him. Or do you think they just let him walk? Do you think basically? Do you think that what happens at the deadline will change what they end uh, up in offseason? It's hard to say because this front office has not had to make, has not had to make any sort of really high leverage decisions, if that makes sense. Pretty much all the decisions they've had to make so far since their arrival have been sort of smaller scale decisions. So it's hard to know exactly how they'll handle this. Um, you would certainly hope that whether or not a deal materializes does not change their approach going into the summer. 
Um, like, they should not, they should say, this is, they should basically be able to look at it and say, this is how likely we think he is to stay at a price that we would be okay with. So they should know exactly, right now, more or less, how much they would be comfortable paying him this summer if he stays, right? And then they should juxtapose that with how likely are we to get him to stay for that versus what the return we can get out of a trade for him is. If you don't get that the return that you want out of it and he ends up leaving for more than you're willing to pay him this summer, you go, okay, well, whatever. We got our cap space and we'll be all right. That's what the approach should be. So if you don't trade him at the deadline, that doesn't mean, oh, well, now we got to panic and re-sign him for a $30 million, you know, a max contract that's worth $34 million a year. That's not what that means. Um, because that would be stupid. That would only be compounding mistakes, effectively. So they should know exact. They should more or less have a pretty clear plan for what they think his value is, how likely they think he would be to re-sign for that, and then juxtapose that with what sort of trade packages they're getting. And they should know. They should know right now. They should know what they would be willing to give him up for, because knowing ahead of time is how you avoid making really stupid panic deals so that's kind of where that's what i would say about it i guess all right um and the other thing is that here's the thing they certainly are not going to be able to trade blake griffin right so i get the thought process of it's not it's a lost cause but He's going to be here at least through next season. Like, the earliest you can get rid of Blake Griffin is after next season when he's at least an expiring, right? So there's a degree to which it's like, well, we're stuck with this guy. We're stuck with this guy here either way, so we may as well keep Andre around just in case Blake's healthy next year and we can maybe do some stuff. And that kind of be that kind of would be my approach, quite frankly to the potential for not getting the deal that you like for him at the deadline and then bringing him back would basically be Blake sticking around either way. And as we have seen here, if Blake is hurt, even with Andre here, even with Andre playing really well, he's not the sort of super-duper star who's going to, you know, drag your team to 40 wins in a season, right? He's not one of those top five guys, you know, it can be sort of like, I mean, I don't know, like Bradley Beal, for instance, where he's not that sort of superstar that's going to drag your team to 40 wins in a season. You know, he can be playing and there, and you can have a couple injuries and you'll win like 30, you know, high 20s maybe. Um, so, yeah, so even if you keep him, I mean, then you say, well, if he wants to stay, keep him. He makes life easier for your new point guard who's likely going to be a rookie. Um, or whatever, you know, he, he makes life easier for everyone else, just like we talked about yesterday. Uh, it makes life easier for ball handlers to have a guy who can roll to the rim like Andre, who can do dribble handoffs like Andre, also helps him on defense, that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, he'll make their lives easier. And, you know, best case scenario, who knows? Maybe Blake, after this surgery, and he's going to get plenty of time to rehab, there won't be any rush to come back early. Maybe he'll come back next year and he'll actually be healthy. Because here's here would be the worst case scenario, actually, to me. Would be, you trade Andre for pennies on the dollar here this season. And you come back next season with a fully ready tank squad, right? All out on the tank. Blake Griffin is healthy and is playing like a superstar. That would be the worst case scenario. Because now you've got the guy that you traded for. 
and you have no way to get a team that's ready to actually play up to his level. Because even if he plays at that level, it's still going to be really, really hard to trade him because he's paid so much money as he has the injury history he has. So that, to me, actually would be the worst-case scenario, would be if you go all-in on the tank and then Blake comes back and actually plays, like, spectacularly. Um, so, because that, once again, okay, when you look at a team, a championship-building process, right, the, the process of building a contender, the hardest step in there is getting the top 10 caliber NBA player. You know, whatever, people put different numbers on it, you know, whatever the level is, right? Getting a guy who is as good as Blake Griffin is when he's healthy, that is the hardest step. There are a lot of really good teams that have come through the NBA over the years that don't have that guy who can be the guy, and they're not able to quite get over that hump. Blake is that guy. And so the worst thing that could happen here would be wasting him, right? Because there's a pretty good chance that it will be a long time before the... I, he's probably the but He's at least the best player to put on a Pistons jersey since Grant Hill. Probably Isaiah Thomas. So, it's... Yeah, so, I mean, look. If they trade him and they do go on in the rebuild, I'm certainly not going to be... I would depend on what the return is. But even if they do trade him for pennies on the dollar, I wouldn't be super upset just because... You know, they're going to go all in on the rebuild, and that's going to be that, right? There would be a degree to which it would be almost refreshing to just know, okay, this is for sure what's happening. We traded Andre, trade Lanks and Galloway. Um, I know that you have heard that they're probably not going to trade Derrick Rose this year at least, but, you know, whatever they decide to do. You know, they trade all the guys that they were able to trade. We're playing the young guys. We're just going to suck. There would be a degree to which it would be kind of like, okay, now at least we know what we're doing. But... I would be hesitant to do that. Um, I would want to set up the team to be in a position where you are building towards the future, but even if it's that slim chance that it happens, if Blake comes back next year and is actually ready to go, I would rather not have a G League team playing around him. I guess that would be kind of my point. Well, see, this is the thing, and I know we didn't want to go too long with this, but I'll just give my input here. This is, and I kind of touched on it in the last podcast. This is the thing. So even going further, on, you're talking about what you said with Blake and the G League team around him. It'd be different, and it'd be different if the Pistons like young players like Zion Williamson and and I mean, who else do you want to go out there that were young, like Donovan Mitchell? Who else? Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. I am it blessed. would be different. It'd be different if their young players were like that or something. Yeah. But their young players are not like that. Our young players are role players with clear caps. They're not going to be the best player on a team. Most likely not second or even third. They're just, they have caps, which is fine. I mean, that's okay. They're good. They're, they're proving that you can get role players at the second round. You got Luke. He's a nice player. That's fine. But this idea that you can just, like, put a G League team and just get a bunch of young players, purposely lose and tank. You're setting – not only are you setting them – not only are you setting a bad environment, in my opinion, a bad environment and a bad uh, foundation, you're also setting up your young players that have stumped in growth and development and for them just to, like, completely fall through. Because, like I said, if they were, like, Ben Simmons, Zion, where they're learning to be that number one guy, like, you're just putting people around them, you're losing, but you – this is the number one guy he's going to end up having to do this anyways. Fair enough. 
Our guys are not like that. They need people, good players around them, to be able to do what they do, to be able to develop the way that we want them to develop. Like, imagine Bruce Brown out there with a bunch of trash bags around him. Like, Bruce would, you know how bad Bruce would struggle as him if you made him like the lead ball handler on a team that with trash bags around him. Like, that's not helping his development. That's hindering him. He's just not only can you hinder his development, you're also you're taking a chance of destroying it a young player's confidence by doing something like that too. So like, that's been my whole thing. So like, that's why I've been against it. If the Pistons had blue chip prospects like that, if they had like hardcore prospects, then okay. I I would completely understand. I'd be okay with it, but we don't have that. So we need a semi good team around them in order for them to succeed. Here's the other thing is they're almost in the middle. So they don't have that young blue chip prospect. Like you said, where it's like, we're going to totally tear down and we're going to build around this one guy, right? And that's what we're going to do. They don't have that guy. But the other thing is that they also don't have nothing. So it's not like you can trade everyone and start from scratch. So think about it like this, okay? Next season, Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown, two of their core young pieces, quote-unquote, will both be 24. Christian Wood, since people want to include him here, who knows if he'll actually be in Detroit next year or not because he's obviously going to be a free agent, but... So here, let's just go down the line, okay? Next season, Christian Wood will be 25. Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard will be 24. Svi Mikhailuk will be 23. Sekou Dubois is the only guy who's actually going to be that young. Like, the Pistons have young guys, but, like, Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown are going to be 24. You know, when... Let me just check this to make sure. When Andre Drummond was 24... When Andre Drummond was 24, he made his second All-Star team. Like, people realize that, right? Like, when Andre Drummond was 22, he made third-team All-NBA and was the best player on a playoff team. And he didn't end up getting to that caliber of player, right? People were angry that Andre Drummond had not become a super-duper star yet when he was 24. But people are okay with totally tearing it down and trying to start from scratch with guys that are 24, you know? So, and once again, we both like Luke Kennard. We both like... Bruce Brown, we like Svi Mikhailuk, etc. We like these guys. They're good pieces. But, like you said, they don't have that blue chipper, but they also don't have nothing where it's like, look, we got a bunch of 30-year-olds here. Trade everybody. We're starting from scratch. Kind of like what Cleveland did a couple years ago when LeBron left and was like, look, we got nothing. <laughs> we got Chetty Osman and CZ Antic. We're totally tearing it down. We'll draft some guys you know, totally from scratch. They're not there. Luke Kennard is going to be is good enough now, I think, that he's good enough right now to be on a team that's ready to win games. Bruce Brown, I mean, he's in over his head as a lead ball handler, but we talked about this the other day. If he was on a team, if everyone on this team was healthy, he's playing like 18 minutes, 20 minutes off the bench, he's ready to be in a real role on a team that's winning games. I think Svi Mikhailuk is ready to be in a real role on a team that's winning games, but none of them are going to become that blue chipper, like you said, either. So I think that there would be real value in trying to keep at least some semblance of competency because the thing is, unless you're going to trade all of the young guys you have other than Seku, you've got enough goodness here that you're going to field at least a, that you're probably going to be fielding a semi-competitive NBA team, right? Probably. It wouldn't be good. That's the point. It's like, even if you trade away Andre, Blake never plays again, right? And your starting lineup next season is insert 
new point. Well, they're probably not going to trade Derrick Rose. So if next season your starting lineup is Derrick Rose, um, Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown, Sekou Dumboya, and Christian Wood, okay? And then, you know, whoever they draft, plus Fima, Kyluk, and whoever else off the bench. That's not a good team, but that's not a team that's going to win, like, 18 games and get the top pick in the draft, right? That's a team that's going to win, like, 26, 27, 28 games, maybe 30 if things work well, right? So because of that, you're kind of already on that step. So because of that, I would be hesitant to trade Andre unless you're getting a solid return. So once again, if they get a good return for him, you do it. I'm not arguing against that. Um, one that I've said would be the most intriguing trade to me remains. I have no idea how likely it would be, but remains something with Portland where the Pistons get back Yusuf Nurkic. Because obviously Nurkic is not going to play at all this year because he broke his foot or his leg or whatever happened. So Portland gets a center that can actually play this year. The Pistons can then tank all out this year and then come back next year and they've got a really good front court who's now actually hopefully going to be healthy. So there's a degree to which they can get the best of both worlds there. Um, that would be the sort of deal that would be intriguing to me, especially if you got something in addition to Nurkic. Um, it'd be Nurkic plus probably, it'd probably be something like Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside for Andre and Langston Galloway just to make um, salaries match. Um, if they wanted to, they could also get Tony Snell instead of Galloway just because they have a real lack of any long wings who can shoot. Uh, but either way, you know, that sort of a deal, that would be intriguing to me. Or something where you get multiple picks or multiple young assets. That would be the sort of thing that would be hard to turn down. But I just, I would not feel like trading for pennies on the dollar, especially when he continues to say that he wants to be in Detroit. That's the, and basically, that's basically why I'm at. It's just, I understand everyone wants to go through a rebuild. I had a, I even had a conversation with some, I mean, it's hard for me, for you to convince me you want to be a part of a full rebuild when we don't got the pieces to do that type of thing. Like, people don't understand that it's, it's not just about just losing. Like, you have to be, you have to be, like, set up for that kind of thing. And the Pistons are not set up like that, unless you do. And I saw someone tweet, uh, I believe someone tweeted Sham about this, and you brought it up just now. I mean, Luke Kennard's part of our young core, but is he really, is he that young? Like, he's not... 21 anymore he's got one more year on his rookie contract him and bruce have one more season on the rookie contracts and and then you're gonna have to pay him you're gonna have to pay him just like you had to pay everybody else so like if everyone was like say who's age okay but like even now even if you traded in a hypothetical universe you get rid of dre and blake somehow some got some some amazing way you got rid of both of them before the trade deadline is your is your timeline really on the same path still like it's still it's it's still like kind of not making sense because by the time so let's say we I mean Seiku's played better than I thought he would so maybe he's speeding up the development maybe but let's go ahead and just continue to go with the general timeline that I've been told about Seiku it's gonna be about three years like kind of like with the Pascal Siakam kind of thing three years he'll be like a next year he'll probably start some games be like a below average star but he shows you flashes he does his thing he grows the next year he's an actual starter the next year after that you expect something from him. That kind of thing. By that time, what, Luke's 27? Bruce Brown is, what, 27, 26? And then Sekou's 21? Like, that's... Your timeline's still not making... Still not making sense. So, it's it's hard for you to 
for you to convince me that a full rebuild makes sense. And especially not having the biggest point, my biggest point, these guys are not players that you can just build a trash team around and then just say, hey, go develop. That's not – you will actually stump – you will stop their development if they don't have a good team around them because – you don't think that having Blake Griffin his first year is what helps it helps him develop uh, Bruce Brown develop? You don't think that helped? You don't think having Derrick Rose has helped him develop? Like like Joe said it earlier, when Derrick Rose is on the court with Bruce, that's when Bruce plays his best. If you just put Bruce out there by himself, you're stumping his growth. He's playing like he would play bad, and you're taking a chance of his confidence being shattered. So like you have to have at the very least you have to have a semi decent team. So sorry to crush your guys' hearts out there, but even if the Pistons don't. Even if the Pistons trade Andre and head into this offseason with the whole rebuild idea, they will still not be able to go this full rebuild that you want. Because if they do do that, I mean, if, if they do that, like Joe said, they'd have to be getting, they'd have to be at least considering getting rid of like the guys who are 24, 25 to that. Because it just, it still would not make any sense. So you, you have to have at least a semi good team around you, and you'll still be picking around 8th, ninth, 10th if you don't make the playoffs. And if you do make the playoffs, it'll probably be 8th or 7th seed. So yeah. even if you get rid of Dre, you're still in this same middle pack. So why not make the best of it? Yeah. So uh, that's basically where I'm at. Obviously, if you get a good offer for Dre, make the trade. Make yeah. the trade for him. You get got a lot of cap space this summer. You get you get a good trade, great. You get the assets and you have the cap space. Amazing. But if not, I have no problem with letting him walk in the offseason. You get the cap space then. And then also, he says over and over that he wants to be here. So like Joe said, unless he's completely just lying, like, he said this over and over and over again, that he won't be here. So, unless he's just lying about it, he's he wants to be here. And there should be a set price about what you want from him. Now, if you already know that that set price is not something he's going to be taking, then I guess, I mean, once we don't, we're not in the front office. We don't know what, what's happened behind closed doors. So, if they already know that the set price that they're willing to go the highest on him, he's already said, nah. I'm not doing that. Then okay. Then you uh, you probably do have to trade trade him for whatever you can get. But either way, the bigger the larger point stays. You can't. The Pistons are not in a in this position to go with a full rebuild. It doesn't make sense. They don't have the pieces to do so, and the timelines won't make sense. And with the pieces that they do have, unless unless you're trying to convince me that the Pistons no longer care about their 24-year-olds, their 23-year-olds, unless they just don't care about them and all they're focused about is getting that one guy, the number one guy, they don't care about those other guys now. Unless that's what you're trying to convince me, it makes no sense for them to do this full rebuild that everybody wants because then you're just hindering the young talent that we do have. Yeah, that's pretty much on the same That's my rant. (laughs) That's a lot more tame than most of our rants are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm trying to be a little bit more professional yeah. because apparently uh, yeah, people don't he, like I had, what I had a run in a little bit. Um, yeah, so. Well, we're coming up on an hour, so we could probably wrap it up with that. Um, any final thoughts on the game tonight? No, you know, Andre Andre really dominates those Cleveland Cavaliers. Every yeah, time he, he goes against them, he just, like, completely destroys them. Which is a little but bit – it's a little bit funny because, like, he's going up against the two, like, only – actual good NBA players that the Cavs have on their team still in Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, and yet he just owns them every time he plays. Yep. Which is, it's just pretty oh, also, funny. Yeah. Also, did you hear about the Cleveland rumor that Cleveland apparently is thinking about trying to get a package together to get to get Andre? Yeah. Um, it's a little bizarre, but it also seems pretty on brand. <laughs> it seems pretty on brand for Cleveland. 
um, to want to do something like that. I'm not. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why they do. Um, I don't know. A lot would depend on what you could get back for it. Um, I liked Colin Sexton last season. I do not like him nearly as much at this point. Um, I don't think much of Darius Garland. Um, I like Chitty Osman. He's a decent player. Um, no. Kevin Porter is intriguing, but I don't know if he's actually going to be any good. Um, but he's certainly intriguing. Um, I also still think that I've not given up on Dante Exum either. Uh, he's a really intriguing player. Um, but I'm not sure what. But I don't think that they want. They certainly don't want to give up Kevin Porter, I don't think. Um, because they kind of. John Beeline in particular supposedly kind of stuck his neck out to get Kevin Porter. Like, they really they really like him. So I don't think they want to give him up. Um, I mean, they, they probably would be okay with giving up Dante Exum, but that alone would not be enough for Andre, I don't think. Uh, and other than Porter, I'm just not sure. I mean, once again, Chetty Otsum is a he's a decent wing player, but he's not that good. Um... The one thing with that would be if the Pistons wanted to go this sort of, you know, middle-of-the-road thing where you trade Andre and you do the youth movement this year but try and come back next year and not be total trash, right? Um, you could get back um, Osman because he's under contract, so you have at least a f- semi-capable small forward who's a two-way player for next year. You could get Exum, so you get a... He's not that young, but you get a prospect type. You could maybe get Tristan Thompson back as well. Now, the problem is Thompson's also a free agent, but another a competent NBA center. Um, so you could maybe do something like that, or maybe Larry Nance instead of Tristan Thompson. Um, but there's just... There's not a lot of packages that I would see there. I mean, I said when they traded for him, I wish the Pistons, since it was so cheap, I wish the Pistons had been trying to get Dante Exum. Um, because given where the Pistons are at at the point guard position, I would really like to see if Dante Exum could help them. Um, but so, and I wouldn't be against sniffing around that, but Exum on his own is not enough to make me interested in giving them Andre Drummond. And I don't know what else the Cavs would be interested in trading the Pistons for him. Um, unless they were willing to give up like their first round pick unprotected, which I don't think they would. Um, I'd be pretty hesitant. And even then, just because of... You just keep hearing really bad things about this draft, which makes me nervous about trading for a draft pick right now. Uh, just because you just... I just... I don't follow college basketball that closely, so I can't really say for myself, but you just keep hearing some really not good things about this draft class, which makes me a little nervous. Um, one thing before we go. My hot take? I think the Pistons should trade Christian Wood. That, I don't think that's a hot take. I actually was thinking the same thing the other day. Because... I don't think his value is going to get higher. He's a free agent this offseason, just like Andre, so he could leave. Um, and here's the other thing. I don't think Christian Wood's ceiling is higher than a good backup. I don't think that he's a starting center in the NBA. He's just not a good enough defender. Um, and also, his three-point shooting is already starting to regress, which is not a huge shock based on what his career numbers are. He's still at like 38%, but remember, he was well over 40% at the start. In a pretty large sample size in the G League, he's been like, what, a 31 or 32% three-point shooter? So that was probably coming. Um, 
So I don't think that his value is going to be higher than it is right now. So I'd honestly, I'd try and get some value for him, to be honest. Um, especially if the Pistons do go all in on a rebuild. So if they trade Andre, they trade Langston Galloway and whatever, I would actually be all about trading Christian Wood, quite frankly. Um, because to me, the most value that... Christian Wood is 24. He's going to be 25 next year. He's not that young. So, you know, the most value Christian Wood would have, to me, actually, would be if you keep Andre and want to win next year, and now you know that you've got your backup center on the team for next year. You know, you to, like, a two- or three-year deal. That's actually the most value that I see for him. Uh, so, I mean, admittedly... If they traded Andre, I would be interested to see Christian Wood playing like 30-some minutes a night. Um, I just am not sure that it would go that well. Um, One last thing that I just want to say to lighten everyone's spirits a little bit. The potential of an Andre Sekou frontcourt that is long and athletic. That could be fun. I kind of want to see that. I kind of hope they keep Andre just so we can see that. Because that could be really cool. That could be really cool. I'll never see it. I mean, you know, honestly, even if they trade Andre and they keep Christian Wood, I know Seku has just yammed on somebody. You'd have a couple dudes that would definitely... You'd get a couple great dunks, like, every single night out of those two between Christian Wood and Seku. They give up a million points every game, but hey, who cares about defense when you can dunk? (laughs) Fair enough. Oh, man. Um, one last thing, just because I just thought of it, um, just to give people an update on a couple of uh, the Pistons' young guys that are not playing in the NBA. So, Davidis Savidis over in Europe. Um, in the Euro Cup, he has played pretty piss poorly, quite frankly. Um, I have no idea what this team is. Raitis, I don't know where they're from. Uh, but he's playing like 17 minutes a game. He's scoring 7 points per game, less than 1 assist per game. Uh, and he's only shooting 33% from three, which is obviously not very good. Um, so he has not exactly set the world on fire. And then Jordan Bone in Grand Rapids has played pretty well. He's scoring 18 points with seven assists per game. Um, he's scoring pretty efficiently. He's got a true shooting percentage of 57%. The one thing that's a little bit scary with him is that his turnover percentage is at 18%, which... For reference, that is the same turnover percentage that Andre Drummond has this year that everyone is complaining about Andre Drummond turning the ball over way too much. That's also higher than Bruce Brown's has been this season. So the two guys on the Pistons team right now that you look at, it's like they're clearly in over their heads with how much they're being asked to do, so they're turning it over too much and it's an issue. In the G League, Jordan Bone is turning it over at a similar rate, which isn't a great sign, but overall he has played pretty well. Um, So I just figured I'd bring those up and give those couple of updates on them. So, anything you want to add on, Koo, before we close? Nope. Okay. All right, so that's going to be everything. Uh, Stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.